And as you're being seated, I invite you to take your Bibles and open up with me to Romans in chapter 11. It's going to be in verses 11 through 16. Romans 11, verses 11 through 16. Our sermon is entitled, From Rejection to Resurrection. From Rejection to Restoration. From Death to Life, you might say. As we continue to walk verse by verse through Paul's epistle to the Romans in our sermon series, God's Righteousness Revealed. We've come to chapter 11. We're in verses 11 through 16 this morning. The text reads, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. This is the word of the Lord. Let us hear it. Let us heed it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord... It will stand forever. Kind of as a, an early birthday slash Father's Day gift, Joshua gave me a present uh, last month, as it were. He had stopped by some place where he was looking and saw a collection of, of all of the Rocky movies on one DVD, and so I got all of the Rocky movies for one for you know in one deal, and so over the course of several weeks we we watched all of them except number five, which is horrible. So we didn't even watch that one, but all of the rest of them we watched. And uh, if you know anything about the Rocky movies, Rocky's never had an easy fight. There's never been one where he just knocks the guy down in the first round and it's over, so to speak. They always, Rocky loses most of the time until the very end, you know. And so he gets knocked down and he gets back up. He gets knocked down. You think he's out. He's, he's going to, you know, never going to get back up. But he does. And so the picture here really is, is have the Jewish people been knocked out, so to speak? When God has rejected them, is that rejection final? Is it, is, it, is it permanent? They've stumbled, indeed. Have they fallen never to give up, get up again? Maybe you remember those kind of commercials in the daytime back 
in the 80s and 90s. As a seventh grader, I thought they were funny. Now that my mother is experiencing some of these things, I, I don't think they're as funny anymore. But they, you have the, the poor elderly person who has fallen and can't get up. And so they're trying to advertise some, some kind of alert bracelet for this person that, that uh, will let someone know that they're on the ground, that they have fallen and they can't get up. Has Israel stumbled and fallen such that they can never get up? That they will never get up? Last week, we looked at this question in the beginning of Romans 11 and asked at that time, if the Jewish rejection was complete, was it total? Did everyone of the Jews disbelieve and disobey the gospel? And the answer then was just as firm then as it is now by Paul that God forbid such a thing. Not, no way, not, not in the least, that, that God had within the Jewish people, among Israel, reserved, as it were, kept a remnant of them. That the, that the rejection or the disobedience of the Jewish people was not full, but only partial. There was, a, there was a, an elect remnant, but a hardened rest. There was a, an unbelieving majority... But there was a a believing minority that within Israel herself, in the whole of ethnically Jewish people, there were some who, like in Elijah's day, had not bowed the knee to Baal. There were some who, in our day, have believed in Jesus as their Messiah. There was an elect remnant by God. But whereas verses 1 through 10 ask the question, Is Israel's disbelief or unbelief, is it full? Today, we're asking the question, is it final? Have those that have been hardened, have those of the rest, has the whole of of those uh, that God has rejected, they've stumbled, surely. But are they out? Is that final? Is it irreversible? Is it unrecoverable? Has has the ten count been given to them? And we find that that's not the case. I, I want to divide up the sermon into two parts. I want you to see, first of all, the stumbling and rejection of Israel. We're going to describe that, talk about the details of the stumbling and rejection of Israel. But secondly, I want you to see the salvation and restoration of Israel. The stumbling and rejection of Israel, and secondly, the salvation and restoration of Israel. So first of all, under the the main section of the stumbling and and rejection of Israel, I want you to see that this stumbling is marked by Jewish unbelief in Jesus. 
That this stumbling is marked by Jewish unbelief in Jesus. When we talk about, and it says, I asked, did they, it's talking about ethnically Jewish people, did they stumble in order that they might fall? And there's no denying whatsoever that they did in fact stumble. He has said so much already. That's kind of been the theme all of chapters 9, 10, and 11. This Jewish unbelief by the majority of Jewish people. Did they stumble? Yes, they, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, as he said. They stumbled over Jesus Christ, their Messiah. They were uh, an incredibly, and, and are an incredibly privileged people. He says they are Israelites back in chapter 9 verse 4. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And yet, they are severed from Christ because of their unbelief. They have not believed or obeyed the gospel as he said. And Paul now says, with all the every fiber of his being, with every desire that he has, he wants them to be saved. He would like them to know the, the Lord Jesus as their Savior. He would trade places with them, be cut off from Christ himself, if in fact that meant that his fellow kinsmen according to the flesh could be saved or would be saved. So this stumbling, as it were, as we see here, it's marked by a Jewish unbelief in Jesus as her Messiah. They have not attained to the righteousness of God. They, they, they're not considered righteous of God because they've not believed the gospel. They've instead, as it says, sought to establish their own righteousness, a self-righteousness that comes through works of the law. But it is not through human effort. It is not through working. It's not through our own obedience because we can never be obedient enough. But it is precisely because the Jewish people on the whole have not believed in Jesus as her Messiah, that they have stumbled. But is this mass of people, is the majority of Jewish people that have not believed, is that a final situation? And I want you to see, secondly, that this stumbling was neither full nor final. That this stumbling was neither full nor final. Did they stumble in order that they might fall? What it means is, is it over for them? Has God rejected His people in total? No, He's not rejected them in total. He's, he's got an elect remnant. So it's not full. It's not, there's not a complete rejection. But of this group, that has been hardened by God, of this group that is still unbelieving. 
Is that rejection final? Will, will there always and only be a remnant? Or will God ever save the whole? Will God ever save the whole? And what he says is, they've not stumbled in order they might fall. This is not an irreversible, unrecoverable situation. By no means. Again, he, he answers in the strongest way possible, saying that this stumbling was neither full nor is it final. We're going to see that there is not only hope for the Jewish people, it's not just a, a possibility that's out there, but it, it is determined and decreed by God that there would be a, a mass revival among ethnic Jewish people that will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ before the end. I want you to see thirdly concerning the stumbling and rejection of Israel that this stumbling is part of God's sovereign plan. That this stumbling is part of God's sovereign plan. We, we see it in two ways. In, in verse uh, 11 and verse 12, it says, Rather, through their trespass. We've, we've seen that it's called stumbling or, or falling. Here it's called their trespass. Again, in verse 12, it's called a trespass. Uh, in verse 12, it's called their failure, or their loss. They're diminishing their defeat, as it were. says through their trespass salvation has come to the gentiles so as to make israel jealous now if their trespass means riches for the world their failure means riches for the gentiles how much more will their full inclusion mean and then in verse 13 so verses 11 and 12 you have this emphasis upon israelite responsibility for their failure that they that they have disobeyed the gospel that they've disbelieve that they've committed a trespass against God that they that they are sinning in this they're responsible for this decision but I want you to see that that switches somewhat in verse 13 to pick up the theme of the entire three chapters he says now I'm speaking to you gent Gentiles inasmuch as I am apostle to the Gentiles I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them for if their rejection, if their rejection, and here he's not saying that they have rejected Jesus, because certainly they have, but he's saying if their rejection, meaning they've been rejected by God, the point is that God has rejected them. If their rejection by God, if the fact that God has rejected them, means the reconciliation of the world. What will their acceptance mean? God will accept them again in this case. Not their, that will mean their, their acceptance of Jesus, but they will accept Jesus because God has uh, again accepted them. So I want you to see that we're going to flesh this out after a while, that God has been sovereign over this. We've seen that, that Old Testament scriptures, Paul has pointed out, has demonstrated that this Jewish unbelief was predicted, that this stumbling over the stumbling stone that the Lord has laid in Zion, Jesus Christ, was, was predicted, that this is part of the decree and the sovereign plan of God, that, that the Israelites are responsible for their sin and their unbelief, 
That's their problem. But that God is sovereign over all of this as well. So this stumbling's marked by Jewish unbelief in Jesus. This stumbling was neither full nor final. This stumbling is, is part of God's sovereign plan that He is superintending and, and working out throughout salvation history. And then fourthly, I want you to see that this stumbling results in saving blessings for the Gentiles. That this stumbling results in saving blessings for the Gentiles. That God in His design of this, had, a, had designs in this Jewish unbelief to make it the occasion for the Gentiles to come to faith in Jesus Christ. To make it the occasion for the Gentiles to be included and enfolded into the flock of God, into the people of God, to be made children of God. It says, rather, through their trespass, so this is that Jewish unbelief, this is the Jewish failure to believe in the Messiah, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Not only in their delivering over Jesus to be crucified, but also in their rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached, salvation has come to the Gentiles. How often do we see Paul in his ministry take the gospel first to the Jewish people and then because some believe in the synagogues where he preaches some want to hear it again some become angry and persecute and oppose the gospel Paul will over, over and over again he and his associates throughout the book of Acts tell us because you have unbelieved, we are turning to the Gentiles. We are turning to the Gentiles. They will hear us. We'll, we'll go to the Gentiles. And so the occasion of their trespass means that salvation has come to the Gentiles. This has been part of God's plan. We can look at Isaiah 49.6. We can look at Genesis 12.3 where, where God told Abraham that all of the families of the earth will be blessed. It's always been part of God's plan. It's not a plan B that the Gentiles were then included and grafted in. Always been a part of, of God's plan. But it is the rejection of the Jewish people regarding Jesus that has resulted been the occasion for the Gentiles to be enfolded in. So regarding the stumbling and rejection of Israel, we see four things. The stumbling is marked by Jewish unbelief in Jesus. The stumbling is neither full nor final. That this stumbling is part of God's sovereign plan. And fourthly, that this stumbling results in saving blessings for the Gentiles. Let's now look then at the salvation and restoration of Israel which is promised and predicted in this passage as well. And I want you to see that the salvation and restoration of Israel that is 
spoken of as uh, more than merely a possibility, but is going to happen in this passage, that first of all, it is this salvation is provoked by Jewish jealousy over the Gentiles. That this salvation is provoked by Jewish jealousy over the Gentiles. That, that the salvation of both Jewish and Gentile people are utterly intertwined and intermingled. That this salvation and restoration of the Jewish people is not separate or divorced from the salvation of the Gentiles people any more than the salvation of the Gentiles was completely separate and divorced from the rejection of the Jewish people. It says there at the end of verse 11, rather through their trespass, through their unbelief, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Just as God has predicted back in Deuteronomy that I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, by a bunch of nobodies, he says their salvation salvation has come to the Gentiles in order so as to make Israel jealous. Now there is a, an, an extremely intelligent and brilliant Christian, Jewish Christian professor named Charles Feinberg. And Feinberg is, is one of the kind of guy that can, can be giving an in-depth lecture on theology and be writing a note to his secretary at the same time without ever skipping a beat. It's one of those sorts of people. And R. Kent Hughes mentions uh, about him that he tells the story of the way that he came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was kind of like this that's described here. Their family, as a, as a Jewish family, had, uh, had hired a Gentile woman to serve them on the Sabbath. That they had a, 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 a Sabbath... And, and this woman who, who had who'd gone to work for this Jewish family to, to help serve them and help prepare them so they didn't have to work on the Sabbath day, that she had been hired on specifically in her mind to minister to them. Not that she was, you know, she was an employee, so she did her job faithfully. But over time... In seeing this woman's attitude and, and seeing, hearing her talk and seeing the way that she served with joy, the way that she worked, Charles Feinberg said, I realized that she had something that I didn't have and I wanted it. And he found out what that something was when he asked her. And this is kind of what it's, it's talking about here, that salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous that they might see the, the joy and the blessings of full salvation and, and relationship with God in those who are Christians, that Israel may desire that, that righteousness by grace through faith in Jesus that she sees in the Gentiles. 
Now, this, isn't, this passage isn't talking about our responsibility in that, but certainly there is a responsibility, isn't there, for us. As if we are Gentile believers here, that we act as those who have found joy and delight and been changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. In order that there is something there, some difference that is seen that would provoke Jewish people to say they have something that I want, that I don't have, that I desire. So through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. That this salvation is provoked by Jewish jealousy of the Gentiles. Paul's going to talk about it also. I magnify my ministry in order to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. So that's the second thing. This salvation is not only provoked by Jewish jealousy of the Gentiles, this salvation is is promoted by Paul's apostolic ministry. Paul is not saying that he is going to be the the figure that brings about this this great revival and salvation in in Jewish life. We know that he, he is not. But he says... Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles and understand so he's he's talking here to Gentiles because there are apparently Gentiles in in Rome that have a problem with this that have become arrogant that have become boastful and I could give you a long history of of those who have borne the name of Christ that have come arrogant and boastful and much worse towards those who are unbelieving Jews But he's saying, I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. There are apparently some Gentiles have become arrogant and acted as if towards Jewish people they have acted against. God has replaced you with us. That God has rejected the Jews and accepted the Gentiles, and He's replaced you with us. they become arrogant in that. Instead of thinking that God has saved a remnant of believing Jewish people and included believing Gentiles in that group, included them in that, they have thought that they have replaced rather than also expanded believers. And so in doing that, in, in saying that they have been, they've acted as if they've replaced the Jewish people with the Gentiles rather than being included with believing Jews, they become arrogant and boastful. And it may be that they have called as support for their position, the Apostle Paul. Because Paul, as you know, was called by God as an apostle to the Gentiles. And they will say, see, look at Paul. Paul is not ministering to Jewish people primarily. Paul is ministering to 
to Gentiles. And so he agrees with us that God has replaced Jewish people with Gentile people. And so Paul is working among the Gentiles. And Paul says, I want to I talk to you Gentiles for a second. Because I want you to know that the reason that I work and that God has me working among the Gentiles is not separate from the ministry to Jewish people. He says, I am a Jew. I, am, I, I wish with all of my heart for the salvation of Jewish people. I would, I would you know, switch places with them and be accursed if I could if it meant their salvation. I'm praying for their salvation and I magnify my ministry among the Gentiles so that not only are the Gentiles blessed by this salvation and this gospel that I proclaim to them, but also that indirectly the Jewish people, my fellow Jewish people, might be provoked to jealousy and thus be saved. Some of them, he says, might save some of them. So he believes that his ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles even and preaching the gospel to them indirectly affects and might indirectly help bring about God's plan of restoring unbelieving Jews to salvation. Which brings us to our third point here. This salvation is promised in God's sovereign plan. This salvation and restoration of Israel is promised in God's sovereign plan. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And he's not just hinting that that that's a possibility. The way he's saying it is it's going to happen. He says, if their rejection, and remember that's a rejection by God, means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean? Their acceptance by God, meaning not only that an elect remnant is kept by God out of Israel that believes, but God also opens up the floodgates and accepts Unbelieving that mass of hardened, unbelieving Israel so that they're regrafted into the original olive tree, as it were. We'll talk about that in greater fullness next week. But that this salvation is promised in God's sovereign plan. It's part of God's sovereign plan. And we see that worked out in the rest of, of Romans 11. That this hardening that has been brought upon the majority of Gentiles is partial, first of all, but it's also temporary. That when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, all of Israel, it describes, will be saved. Now we can talk later about what that means when I figure it out. But, but that all of Israel will be saved. It's promised in God's sovereignty. And he in Paul gets so excited about this at the end of, of chapter eleven that he breaks out into doxology. 
He breaks out in praise to God and, and talks about how wise and how glorious God's plan is, how inscrutable His ways are, that all things are from Him and to Him and for Him. That history is, is unfolding just as God has decreed it and just as God has planted it, that He's planned the ends from the beginning. And that this future salvation and revival that is going to come among ethnic Jews is promised in God's sovereign plan. They've stumbled, yes, but they've not fallen. It's not unrecoverable. It's not irreversible. In fact, God is going to save a bunch of them. You know why? Because He says, My promises and My oaths and My covenants are irrevocable. If I've said something, I'm going to do it. And though they are currently, as they remain unbelievers, enemies of the Gospel, it says, He said they're beloved even now, as unbelievers, they're beloved. Why? For the sake of the patriarchs. Fourthly, I want you to see this salvation produces greater worldwide blessing from God. This salvation produces greater worldwide blessing from God. There are two, uh, two arguments both in verse 12 and then again in verses 14 and 15 where Paul argues from the lesser to the greater. This is the way that he does it. If, if this is true, then how much more is this true is kind of how he says it. And what he does, he says, now if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? He's saying if God had a purpose and a plan for the Jewish people to reject Jesus as their Messiah, and He brought about the salvation of Gentile people through that plan and through that sin that they committed, if through this sin that they committed, this unbelief that happened, God had a plan for that and brought about good things, He worked that evil for good in the salvation of Gentile people, if, if the, it meant the reconciliation of the world, if it meant riches for the Gentiles, if that's the case, if God can, can use a sinful act on the part of the Jews to bring about blessings for the world and even Gentiles and the rest of the nations, then he says, how much more will their full inclusion, how much more when they actually believe in the gospel? Will that mean not just blessings for the Jewish people, will that mean blessing for the whole world? He says again in verse 14, he says, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection by God, in this case, means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance by God mean but life from the dead? If Jewish unbelief brought such blessing 
to the entire world that is called reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean? But life from the dead. Now outside of that passage that I mentioned earlier that all Israel will be saved, that, this phrase, life from the dead, has probably had more debate over what it means than, than that, except for that one. What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? What are we talking about? Are we talking about regeneration, spiritual life that's brought, that you're, you are dead in your sins and trespasses and you're brought to spiritual life? Certainly that picture is made in the New Testament. It's even made in the closest thing we have here in uh, Romans chapter 6. That you're alive from the dead, he says. Does it mean, are we talking about a nationalistic, ethnic, Jewish revival? That it means, you know, that it's talking about life from the dead. Certainly that's the context of the passage, isn't it? That we're talking about ethnic revival among, that, that there are a mass of unbelieving Jewish people that believe in Jesus Christ? Or are we talking about actual end times resurrection? That this means actual physical life from the dead? And, and I think the answer is neither of those three, really. And I'm on firm footing here, I believe, with the commentaries when I, when I, when I talk about this. And I, that I think what, it, what it's talking to you is talking about is something that is beyond regeneration and stems from ethnic revival and leads up to, but is not equated with, the end times resurrection. It's just talking about this great joy and spiritual life. It's talking about if God used the unbelief of Israel to bring great blessing, then God will use the belief of Israel to bring even greater blessing to the world. So much so that it could be described as life from the dead. that this salvation will bring greater worldwide blessing to God. And what He wants them to see, he, remember He's speaking, I'm speaking to you Gentiles and as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. He wants them to know that if you were blessed by God because some Jews disbelieved, how much more are you going to be blessed by their belief that you were your blessedness and your salvation has never been and will never be separate from Jewish belief and salvation. So pray earnestly. Give yourself earnestly to, the, to that, that not only fellow Gentiles but also Jewish people might believe That God might bring about this full inclusion. That God might say more than just this remnant. And lastly, I want to 
want us to look at verse 16. The last thing I want you to see is that this salvation provides a natural fulfillment for God's people. This salvation provides a natural fulfillment for God's people. Verse 16 is kind of a transitionary verse between this passage and the, the next. And so it ends this one and it kind of introduces what he's going to talk about next week. He says, If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. We're going to see that the dough and the root in this case are the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and Jacob as it were. And he's picturing, uh, he's picturing offerings that are made from whether it's grain or wine or whatever, in this case, offerings of bread, of dough. He said if, if, if there is dough that's set apart and offered up to God first as, and is accepted by God as holy, then isn't the whole lump, the whole rest of that also, won't it be considered holy by God? That if the root of the, the olive tree, if the root of the tree is holy, then, then won't the branches also be considered holy and natural to God? What he's going to say is that in many ways, Gentiles being included in this uh, olive tree and, and being concluded as holy, be considered holy, is most unnatural. <laughs> we know it's most undeserving, but most unnatural. He's saying... It is more reasonable, more to be expected, and much more natural that there, there be a, a mass Jewish revival in the future than there, and we should expect them much more than we ever would have expected the Gentiles to be included in the first place. Because if the beginning of the dough is holy, then the whole lump is going to be considered as well. If the root is holy, then so are the branches. That we're going to see that those branches that have been broken off by unbelief, God is going to regraft them in to the root, to the olive tree. He's going to bring those cultured, holy, acceptable branches. They're going to believe again. So the salvation and restoration of Israel means that this salvation is provoked by Jewish jealousy of the Gentiles. It's promoted by Paul's apostolic ministry. It's promised in God's sovereign plan. It produces greater worldwide blessing from God. And it provides a natural fulfillment for God's people. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.